All right, good evening. Welcome to our class. We are in lesson 15, Honoring Marriage and the Family. This is on page 98 in your workbook. If you find there on page 98 at the very top in the blue box, you've got the sixth commandment. This will be the major portion of our consideration tonight. The sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, that we lead a pure and decent life in words and actions, and that husband and wife husband and wife love and honor each other. And you might notice that this is the only commandment that doesn't have a what not to do aspect to it. Every other commandment has the form, we should fear and love God that we do not do this, but that we do do that. And the sixth commandment, um, I guess Martin Luther just figured, you know, when he was writing these explanations for, for teaching, he figured, first of all, we're teaching children that this is a handbook designed for use in the home. And so you don't need to go into all the detail. And then secondly, um, the sinful flesh is more than creative enough to, to try to find its way around a series of do's and don'ts. So if he just had it summarized as we should fear and love God, that we do lead a pure and decent life in words and actions. And that specifically for the sixth commandment, husband and wife love and honor each other. That is the topic that we have tonight. So lesson 15, page 98, we will be starting in Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus talks about and teaches about marriage and divorce. The two summary points there at the very top of the page. First, the Pharisees asked Jesus when it was permissible to end a marriage, and they were trying to trap him in his words. And Jesus' answer, secondly, takes us back to the beginning, to creation, when God created man and woman and marriage as a special blessing for them. That when God created man and woman, he did it in such a way where he also created this specific relationship between them. And that is, is seen in marriage, most evidently, most prominently, as well as in the ways that, that man and woman interact within God's creation as well. So Matthew chapter 19 um, is going to be here on your screen. There we are. Matthew chapter 19. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. There at the end of verse 4, you see that is from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and in verse 5, is from Genesis 2, verse 24. So if you recall, Genesis 1 is the overview of the week. Genesis 2, God zooms in on the important detail. And that's the format that Moses uses for the entire book of Genesis. He gives the overview, and then he zooms in on the important detail. And he, he does that when he gets to the family of, of Noah, when he gets to the, the family of Adam as well. When he gets to the family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he gives the overview, and then he zooms in on the important detail. And that's exactly what we have with the creation of man and woman. Um, picking it up in, there in verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of a divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. This is the word of our God. Um, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> so today Jesus teaches about marriage and divorce. Number one, God established marriage at creation when he brought Adam and Eve together into the first marriage. When people are united in marriage, how close do they become? Looking at verse 5. Uh, verse 5. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And that is a, that one flesh relationship is there as soon as the marriage begins. Um, they, are, they are one person. They are united. They are bound together. Um, and that there, there are multiple different ways where that one flesh relationship is expressed. 
um, physically and in the way one organizes the life that they have together and the decisions that they make. But that's a reality that is present when they're standing at the altar and they say, I do, or I will, whatever the promise is. Number two, read Romans 7, verse 2. How long does God intend a marriage to last? This is in our supplemental passages there on the screen. Romans 7, verse 2. A married woman is bound to her husband by law as long as he is alive. But if he dies, she is released from this law regarding her husband. All right, so according to that verse, how long does God intend marriage to last? Well, until one spouse passes away, that this is until death parts us. Um, this isn't just for the sake of convenience. This isn't a temporary relationship. This is a lifetime, lifelong relationship until one spouse passes away. <coughs> Excuse me. Our key term, marriage, there in the box, a lifelong union between a man and a woman. That's the way that God designed it at the beginning of time for all people. And that's the way that it applies for all people still. Um, this is a lifelong union, not a relationship of convenience. Um, and it's a one flesh relationship that is part and parcel of the marriage that God designed. And it is between man and woman, between one man and one woman. Uh, the numbers there don't change, and um, and the sexes, man and woman, don't change there. You have one man and one woman, or one woman and one man, and that's that's what a marriage is. Anything apart from that is not a marriage. The essence of marriage, um, and this is true for the unbeliever as well as for the believer, that the essence of marriage is this one, <coughs> excuse me, this one man, one woman relationship that is public. Uh, committed to another, legally bound to each other for life. <coughs> Got a little bit of a tickle in my throat tonight. All right, uh, number three, read Genesis 2, verse 18, 7, verses 2 through 5, and Psalm 127, verse 3. What are the three chief blessings of marriage? That will be here in our supplemental passages. Genesis 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is, who is a suitable partner for him. And 1 Corinthians 7, verses 2 through 5, Because of sexual sins, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband is to fulfill his obligation to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, uh, scrolling over, and um, the wife does not have authority over her own body. Her husband does. Likewise, the husband does not, ha not have authority over his own body. His wife does. Do not deprive one another unless you both agree to do so for a time in order to, to devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And Psalm 127, verse 3, Indeed, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward from him. So when we talk about the three chief blessings of marriage, um, we see them as companionship and sexual happiness and children. Um, sometimes we you know, use the memory hook, the three C's. Um, if you use the term chastity in place of sexual happiness, that's an, old, <laughs> that's an older English term that means basically the same thing. Uh, the proper use of the body within the bounds of marriage and then um children are the is the the third the third blessing of marriage and um a marriage is a marriage whether it has whether it has children or not that the existence of children does not make it any more or less complete that the essence of marriage is one man and one woman and um, i'm just adjusting a few things here on the screen that the essence of marriage is one man and one woman publicly committed to each other for life and sometimes a couple isn't able to have children. Maybe they, maybe they don't. Um, doesn't mean their marriage is any less. Just means that it's different from the the family who would have multiple children. But neither is is being shortchanged by God. Um, and that that couple that does have children or doesn't have children will each have specific challenges and specific blessings that come with that particular circumstance. Um, working our way back up the topic of sexual happiness. Um, this is one that I, you know, talk about fairly frankly with, 
with young couples who are getting married. Uh, we take them through a five lesson pre-marriage course and it's available also for those who want a little bit of a refresher. Um, and I think the fourth out, out of those five lessons is talking about, talking about children and talking about that relationship as God designed it for husband and wife. And, uh, one thing that I kind of say is, well, you know, this is, this is your main job or one of, one of your main tasks, one of your main responsibilities as a spouse is that you have this whole body responsibility to, to your, to your spouse. Um, and you know, that is, that's the task that even if that was the only thing that you did that day, um, this is something that, that should be enjoyed between the couple. And we don't do anyone any favors by talking down about God's gift of sex, as well as we don't do any favors by permitting or encouraging the use of the godly or the use of the body outside of marriage. Um, God designed the body for sex and he designed it to be a pleasurable thing and he designed it for the bounds of marriage and that is that is a proper thing to do and and a joyful thing that god created for a husband and wife to enjoy together um so then finally companionship or friendship is um you know just having that person who is there that person is your person and your spouse is now number one in your life above the other you know people you work with other companions other buddies the the high school friends everybody else takes a second seat to your spouse even your family or your siblings or you know whatever whatever that relationship may be every other relationship is now secondary to that relationship that a husband and wife have together that relationship of companionship, uh, sexual happiness, and children as God sees fit. Number four, <clears throat> in our world today, many people concerned only about satisfying their own desires blatantly ignore what God says about marriage and sex. But God speaks very clearly, for whom only is sex a good thing and a blessing? Well, a husband and wife in marriage. Sex with anyone who is not your spouse, whether you are married or single, is a sin. That's about the best way that I've seen it summarized. Um, that God, this is the place where God designed it to to happen, and yeah. Uh, so marriage is intended to last a lifetime, but sometimes it doesn't, as um, as Jesus had said back in verse six of Matthew nineteen, that that God had permitted divorce because their hearts were hard. So our key term divorce is ending a marriage before either person has died. And really, when we talk about divorce, divorce is the public recognition that the marriage vow has been broken. Just because that marriage vow has been broken doesn't require somebody to get a divorce, um, but it permits or allows somebody to get a divorce. In the case of um, adultery, as we as we'll see in just a moment or in the case of desertion where somebody is has has left of their own free will and or somebody who has left the marriage and broken their marriage vow repeatedly in a way that it's obvious that they're not going to change so when you talk about desertion the three main elements that we have in mind are first of all that this is unilateral uh, secondly that this is permanent and thirdly that this is willful uh, unilateral willful and permanent so a unilateral desertion means that one person decides that he or she is leaving. It's not a mutual decision to take a break for a while. This one person says, I'm out of here. Or this one person says, I'm not going to fulfill any of my um, responsibilities to this marriage. It's unilateral. Uh, secondly, it's willful that this person willingly does so. Um, so the case of somebody who is in a car crash and they are in a permanent vegetative state, it may be unilateral, it may be permanent, but it wasn't willful. And in that case, if it's not willful, then it's not a deserting of the marriage. And that is prime opportunity to demonstrate what a married Christian love actually looks like. All right, so unilateral, willful, and permanent. Permanent means there is no change, or that this person has indicated that he or she is not willing to reconcile, not willing to make things better, not willing to return. So when you talk about divorce, uh, divorce is really um, legally, yes, um, the definition is correct, that legally divorce is ending a marriage before either person has died. But realistically, divorce is the public recognition that the marriage vow has been broken. 
And in that sense, the spouse who has been sinned against is the one who is able to, who is set free from the, from the oath that they took because the other spouse had already left that oath. The public recognition that, that somebody has, you know, broken their oath um, doesn't mean that, you know, in the case of cheating or in the case of desertion, that the other spouse has to divorce them. Um, but it's certainly permissible. But if they decide not to divorce, then, you know, then you're in it. Um, and you have to do your work to try and reconcile, do your best to forgive and to move on together as a couple. And the three elements that we look for or that we talk about as elements for a uh, biblical divorce, even though, you know, every divorce is the result of sin. Um, the three elements of divorce are that it is unilateral, that is one-sided, that is willful, that somebody intended to do so, and that it is permanent, that there is no change. Okay. Uh, number five, what does Jesus say is a permissible reason for divorce? Looking at verse nine, I'll pull that back up here. Matthew 19, verse nine, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So the exception that he gives is one of marital unfaithfulness, also known as sexual immorality, where, you know, that, that gift of sex, that, that second of the three blessings of marriage, if companionship, sexual happiness, and children, um, if, that, if that use of the body is used with somebody outside of the marriage, um, that is, that's adultery, that's immorality, and that is a breaking of the marriage vow. And Jesus says, in that case, the person who has sinned against is not bound to their marriage oath anymore. Uh, so marital unfaithfulness or cheating. When a person seeks the blessings of marriage with someone who is not his or her spouse. Fairly broad definition there, I suppose. Um, but but it does, it does I, I suppose the way it's written, purposely broad, it does recognize that there may be other forms of unfaithfulness that do not involve um, sexual immorality. Um, so that, that there may be the case, but that is something that you would want to proceed with very carefully and cautiously. Um, and if it's something that can be prevented from the very beginning or, or stopped early on, especially um, if somebody's eyes or, or thoughts or you know, discussions and text messages start wandering, well, get that in check and go see your pastor and get some counseling together to say, here is your marriage. Here is the person whom God gave to you. Number six, read 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. What is another permissible reason for divorce? And that is here in the supplemental passages. Uh, highlighted there on the screen, if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not bound in such cases, and God has called us to live in peace. Another permissible reason for divorce is if one of the spouses abandons the marriage. Um, and that's what we talked about, that it is unilateral, willful, and permanent. So key term, desertion, abandoning one's marriage partner. That abandonment may be physical, like you take a plane trip across the country and never come back. It may be... Um, Maybe emotional, where after after you know discussion with the doctor and and seeing a therapist that this person is just cold and um, and turned off and and not engaged in the marriage at all. There may be cases where that's a permissible divorce, a form of desertion or abandonment um, without physically leaving. Um, but this this topic of desertion and abandoning the marriage vow would also include many forms, most forms of abuse. Um, as well as as well as violence, that this is the that God doesn't want a person to um, put himself or herself into danger in order to maintain a marriage that where obviously the one spouse has deserted his or her vow and uh, is not remaining faithful to his or her oath. God says, well, the, the believer is not bound in such circumstances. <clears throat> All right. Any questions on that? Of course, contact me, Pastor Hagen. I'll uh, I'll pull pull all my contact info back up here. Let's see. Where are we? Here we are. 
all the contact information. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to contact me. I also, um, we, we provide counseling for, um, for our members and for members of our community. Um, and that can be with me personally and privately, and it's confidential. And actually under law, it's, protect, it's protected more strictly than attorney-client privilege. Um, but we also provide um, counseling through, through Zoom or other secure video conferencing platform. And, and that also, you know, just contact me and let me know if that is something you'd like to pursue. And that is in conjunction with me. So we usually I try to meet with meet with a person or people sometime during their course of counseling. And then again, afterward, to make sure that we address everything and we're on a solid footing. All right, so far, so good. Uh, Pastor Hagen, P-A-S-T-O-R-H-A-G-E-N at iCloud.com or 419-262-8280 for the benefit of those listening on the podcast. Um, Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 33 and 6, verses 1 through 4, God's model for Christian families. We're going to be picking it up in Ephesians 5, verse 15. Paul writes, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving, excuse me, <clears throat> always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of our God from Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 6, verse 4. Number seven, um, and the summary statement from the middle of page 99 in your workbook, that God uses Jesus's love for us as a model for us to follow within our families. Number seven, in chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, Paul contrasts two different ways we might choose to live. What are these two different ways? Good question. I have to go back to that myself. All right. So he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That term foolish, um, fairly unique with the throughout scripture, um, referring, to, referring to the attitude of unbelief, that the unbeliever is the one who is foolish, that the one who says in his heart there is no God, he or she is the one who is foolish. And so Paul says, verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, do not act like an unbeliever, but you know what the Lord's will is, so understand it and apply it to your life. So he talks about wise and unwise and foolish and not foolish. Uh, so in summary, number seven, what are the two different ways? Living in a way that satisfies or gratifies the sinful flesh, that is a way that is unwise. 
and living in a way that glorifies God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that is, wise. Number eight, according to chapter five, verses 19 through 21, what does it look like when a person lives a life filled with the Holy Spirit? Verses 19 through 21. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what does this look like? Well, the person's life, the whole life, is characterized by praising and thanking God and submitting to others. That is, acting in a way that is out of deference to others, not being taken advantage of because there's no command in Scripture to to, necess- to have somebody, you know, let somebody take advantage of you. Although Paul does say, you know, when we're talking about talking about Christians, it is, it is easier. And wouldn't it be, I suppose I'm kind of contradicting myself there, where Paul says, um, talking about lawsuits, wouldn't you rather be wronged by your brother or sister than to take them into court and dishonor the name of our God before, before these pagan judges? So I guess there is, there is a time and a place when a Christian would, would let themselves be taken advantage of, um, where the Christian would, would act in a way where the world would look at that as weakness. But the Christian also recognizes that the Lord sees everything, and the Lord will set everything straight at the end of time, even if the Christian, he or she, has to suffer at the hands of others, of the unbelievers, or even at the hands of fellow Christians, even if their reputation is dragged through the mud or similar. Um, The Christian says, you know what, I have a Lord who knows, who sees, and who will take care of me and watch out for me. And so, you know, coming back here to number eight, uh, the person's life is characterized by praising God and thanking God and submitting others to others. Number nine, to what other relationship does God compare marriage in verses 22 through 27? That was uh, a long extended section comparing marriage to the relationship of Jesus and his church, that is Jesus and his believers. And so that marriage relationship is supposed to be an image of Christ and his church. And Christians are to, to take their, their guidance for what does marriage look like from that relationship of Jesus and his people. Number 10, how did Jesus love us? Thinking back to, you know, about 10 lessons ago, lessons four and five, he gave up everything, even his own life to save us from our sins, save us from the punishment of our sin and to carry our sin for us. That's pretty intense. (laughs) That is very unselfish, right? So number 11, how do we submit to Jesus? A couple of different ways you can answer that. Um, Or in what way, or in what sense, in and why. In Thanksgiving, we submit to God's will for our lives, knowing that he always has our best interests in mind. So number 12, what responsibility has God given to the husband and the family? That was from that Ephesians 5 section. It's a little bit, a little bit longer talking about what God, uh, what God wants the Christian husband to do. And what do we have here? To lead his family with an attitude that mirrors Jesus' love for us, that is self-sacrificing, that isn't obsessed with his own time and wanting to get away from the family, but rather that he is involved in the family and that he is there to minister to his family by helping to you know, make sure they get to church and to lead them and teach them according to the word of God. Um, and the, the handbook that we use for that is the small catechism, where the father makes sure that the children learn the catechism. Uh, number 13, top of page 100 in your workbook, what responsibility has God given to the wife in the family? And this is intended as a blessing. This is part of the design that God made for marriage um, on day six of creation, this perfect relationship that was designed in perfection because the fall into sin didn't happen until after the seventh day. And this is still the sixth day. Uh, So the responsibility that God has given to the wife to submit to her husband's leadership with an attitude that mirrors our submission to Jesus' leadership. And so each one husband and wife see the other as jesus sees his church 
Number 14. Following Christ's model, how will a husband carry out his God-given responsibility in his relationship with his wife? A couple of different ways it could go there, um, but a nice summary statement here. By loving his wife and demonstrating a willingness to sacrifice everything, even his own well-being, um, for the good of his wife. <laughs> but it's, it's one thing to talk the big talk, oh, I would die for you. But it's another thing to stay up late and scrub the floor and make sure that the kitchen is clean when you would rather be asleep. And it's another thing entirely to make sure that there's no sense of self-righteousness creeping into your attitude um, because, well, look what I did for you and shouldn't you do something else for me? And, um, and shouldn't you appreciate me more? Um, there's no sense of that attitude. And when there is, well, then hopefully God's law convicts us. We look in the mirror and um, our spouse looks at us and says, friend, <laughs> beloved, you're sinning against God and against me in this attitude. Number 15, following the model of the church, how will a wife carry out her God-given responsibility in relationship with her husband? By lovingly submitting to his leadership and respecting him. Talking about respect, um, not just when he is, he's there, you know, because this isn't a, the type of respect or the type of relationship that depends on the husband enforcing his way. But this is the type of relationship and the type of respect that we see purely as a result of the marriage that God has created and the relationship that God has created between that man and that woman. And so, like, I, I think I said this the other night when I was taking a, a young couple through our pre-marriage course, that if respect is only there when, when the person is there, um, then it's not really respect. Then it's just fear. And then it's just pandering. Um, real respect is respecting them at all times, especially when they're not there. And I guess together with that, if you have, or even if you haven't gone through our pre-marriage course, I'll find a way to make this show up even despite the virtual background. Um, we, this is called Building the Christian Home, and it's about five, five sessions long. So Building the Christian Home provides an opportunity for us to talk about five major factors that can really be beneficial and be a blessing for the Christian family, um, or five factors that might be detrimental if they aren't discussed. Um, so if that is something that is interesting to you or something that you think you should participate in, uh, just let me know. Contact me, Pastor Hagen at iCloud.com. Number 16, the roles of headship and submission do not set up a husband as a dictator ruling over the family. Husbands and wives place the happiness and well-being of their spouses over their own. Remember that Paul directs us to submit to one another. Husbands and wives should both sacrifice for each other. In what ways can both husband and wife demonstrate this willingness to live for the other in the way that they speak to each other, act toward each other, and in the decisions they make as a family? And that's the big question. Um, what does this look like in your household? If you are married or if you are um, maybe be married one day or, or just as a single person, what does this look like? What does this not look like? And how can we, how can we just demonstrate the same sort of attitude toward each other? Number 17, our sinful natures or sinful flesh recoils at the thought of submission or sacrifice why is it important for a husband and wife to continue to be in God's word together to maintain this focus? See Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Here in the supplemental passages, uh, let us also carefully consider how to spur each other on to love and good works. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have the habit of doing. Rather, let us encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So why is it important, um, especially in the battle against our sinful flesh? Well, it keeps Jesus' sacrifice for us at the forefront of our hearts and minds as he strengthens us um, to love each other as he loved us. Number 18, review Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 33. How can a husband ensure that his wife's, wife's loving submission to his leadership is a joy and not a burden? 
Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Uh, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. In verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. It's pretty intense. Not a whole lot of wiggle room there. So how can a husband ensure that his wife's loving submission to his leadership is a joy and not a burden? Well, by leading with self-sacrificing love that prioritizes his wife over himself. Pretty straightforward, at least when you read it like that. Um, in application, it's a constant returning to um, the grace of your baptism. That in baptism, God gave you the ability, the power to live this new life and, um, and the will to do so. <laughs> Number 19, how can the wife ensure that her husband's leadership expressed through love and self-sacrifice is a joy and not a burden? Well, by respecting her husband and lovingly submitting to his leadership in a way that prioritizes her husband over, himself, over herself. And what you'll notice is that for both husband and wife, they, they both put the other first in a way that is um, not selfish, not self-seeking, but in a way that is patient and loving. And that's, that's, really, that's really the key. That's really the, um, the main thing to keep in mind here. Number 20, what is a parent or a father's and a parent's chief goal in raising children according to Ephesians 6 verse 4? I think we'll go back to our reading for that. Here we are. Verse 4, fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And yes, God wants and wants to hold fathers accountable for this, parents, uh, particularly fathers. And and it's kind of one of those truths, kind of a truism that I've seen come true more often than not, that when the person with the responsibility is let off the hook, nothing good happens. And when God gives the responsibility for raising making sure that the family stays Christian and according to scripture, when God gives that responsibility, it's not a good thing when the person with the responsibility is let off the hook. Now, there are cases where, obviously, where there isn't a father in the picture or maybe the mother is the only Christian in the picture. Um, and hopefully there the church will be supportive as well um, to help fill in fill in where there isn't that that father figure for that for that child <clears throat> so the chief goal in raising children according to ephesians 6 teach them the word of the lord next portion will be in genesis chapter 39 the first 20 verses um and i think this is a good illustration of what we have been talking about as well as a couple of couple of new elements that kind of come into play here. And what you'll notice on page 100 in your workbook, um, the two summary points. First, after being sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph was purchased by a man named Potiphar. And secondly, Joseph's reaction to temptation is a model for how we deal with temptation toward sexual sin. Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. 
No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Verse 16. She kept his cloak beside her until her master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. That's as far as our reading goes through verse 20a, um, so the first half of verse 20. Um, number 21, what did Potiphar's wife want Joseph to do? She wanted him to have sex with her. Um, come to bed with me, she says, and she pesters him, um, harasses him, and doesn't leave him alone. And um, and And that's the thing, like... Joseph could have sinned, could have done that, and probably gotten away with it, at least for a very long time. Um, but it wasn't right, because the consequences or lack of consequences doesn't isn't what makes a sin right or not correct. Um, the word of the Lord is what calls something sinful or not sinful. Number 22. Any number of bad things might have happened to Joseph, um, if he had listened to Potiphar's wife, eventually it would come out, these things always do. However, what is the main reason Joseph gave for not doing what she wanted him to do? Recalling verse 9, we'll go back to that. Time and again, verse 9, he says, My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? All right, so that's pretty <laughs> well said, Joseph. Um, he said the main reason is that he would be sinning against God, not that he would be endangering his his job or his occupation, um, anything, like, anything like that, but because he would be sinning against the Lord. The main reason isn't even that he would be sinning against Potiphar or against Potiphar's wife, which he would be, but he recognizes that a sin against them would be first and foremost a sin against the Lord. Top of page 101. Key term adultery. That term adultery means to have sex with somebody who is not your spouse. And the way that I like to summarize this when I'm teaching this in a class is that basically we all recognize that there are parts of our body um, that are privilege that are private that we keep to ourselves um, because that's why we wear bathing suits when you go to the swimming pool something like that and that those are the areas that of your body that you want to be especially cautious of that you aren't using those for for a purpose that is outside of marriage really because that term having sex with somebody who is not your spouse talking about adultery um as as the headlines continually show there are there are ways to go about an ungodly use of the body without doing something that our society society would even consider sex because there are different ways where people will try to say well it wasn't it wasn't actually sex it or or even you know famously bill clinton from like 25 years ago um and and the scandal that rocked his presidency um but what we really say and what we really recognize is that there is a proper and godly use of the body and the proper and godly use of the body is within marriage between one man and one woman publicly committed freely committed to each other for life 
And I think that is an exceptionally good reason why, um, why we should encourage our young people and support our young people to marry at a younger age. When the average age of marrying is 28, 29, 30, even 32, there's a reason for that. And you cannot separate that late marriage date um, from the misuse of the body in a way that is outside of the bounds of marriage. And so I think that the main thing that we want to take away from this is recognizing that God created this to be a good thing. God created this to be a blessing and, um, and marriage is a good thing. And so enter into marriage earlier, especially if, if you're, if you've got those passions for somebody, um, going on first Corinthians six verses 13 through 20, number 23, how did Joseph exemplify the apostle Paul's encouragement? I believe this is, Yes, in our supplemental reading. Paul writes, The body is not for sexual immorality, but for, the, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then remove the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute is one in body with her? Sorry. There we are. Picking up at the end of verse 16, for it says, The two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. Flee from, from sexual immorality. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. <clears throat> so how did Joseph exemplify the Apostle Paul's encouragement? Right there in the screen, Paul said, flee from sexual immorality, and Joseph ran out of the house. He, he sprinted out of there. Um, and, and this is at least helpful for us that we are careful in the way that we use, you know, technology, that we are careful in, in the company that we keep, um, the occupations that we pursue, um, even the entertainment that we consume, that we don't want to say, well, how close can I get to the line? We want to say, how can I glorify God in recognizing and upholding the proper use of the body as he designed it for the bonds of marriage? Number 24, according to what we just read, uh, what makes sexual sins very serious? <clears throat> well, Paul notes that sinning sexually sins against our bodies, the temples of the Holy Spirit. The point that Paul makes is that there's something about this sin that is particularly ensnaring because it, you know, enslaves our, our own bodies and our own bodily processes and hormones and everything against us uh, for the purpose of sin. Number 25, Jesus said, It isn't only through the outward action of adultery that people break this commandment. Read Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. What else is a sin against this commandment? From our supplemental passages here, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what else is included? Looking at someone with sexual desire in your heart, which is um, the next, well, actually we'll take the, the red box on the side on page 101, talking about sins of lifestyle. In God's eyes, all sin is serious. His law demands perfection. Anything we do to break his commands makes us worthy of punishment. Living in an active sexual relationship with someone who is not our spouse or living in a homosexual relationship are example of quote-unquote lifestyle sins. They are especially dangerous because their constant presence in our lives is a continual threat to our eternal well-being. Hebrews 10 verse 26 warns us that if we deliberately keep on sinning, even though we know the truth, we are demonstrating a lack of repentance and are rejecting Christ's sacrifice. Despite what the world around us says, we take the Apostle Paul's words to heart, as he encourages us and others to flee from sexual immorality. 
probably not the most popular message you've ever heard, but it is the biblical truth. And, um, and it is something that is borne out with actual, actual data. <laughs> there, there have been studies, um, talking about the, the issues with cohabitating and, uh, and sexual activity before marriage versus the length of the marriage. And it's, it's not good. Um, bottom line is that God designed marriage. He knows how it works. He knows how best to protect it and how best to preserve it. So let's listen to him. Our key term, lust, having sexual desires for somebody who is not your spouse. And Jesus said that looking at someone with lust in your heart, the, which is really the intention of pornography, is a sin. So our key term, pornography, is media designed to create lust in our hearts. This comes in many forms, pictures, movies, games, the written word, etc. Number 26, because pornography is designed to stir up lust in us, how should we treat it? Well, it's something dangerous and something to be avoided. Um, and and we, our synod also offers a few um, a few resources. I think it's called uh, Freedom for the Captive, no, Conquerors Through Christ. Um, there, I'll, I'll add the, uh, the website here, because this is a topic that is, that is becoming earlier and earlier, um, where it's becoming, you know, people really describe it as an addiction, where they have this compuls compulsive behavior that is associated with pornography. And, and sometimes it feels like an addiction, like, like alcohol addiction, or maybe smoking or something like that in the way that they describe it. And um, to those people, I'd say, well, start with conquerorsthroughchrist.net. The website is there at the screen, conquerorsthroughchrist.net. And they've got a, a lot of good, very good material, um, including, you know, videos and discussion guides and, and Bible studies and just plain out encouragement to help somebody break free from the, the guilt or shame that they feel, as well as breaking free from that pull of pornography. Number 27, read Leviticus 18, verse 22 and Romans 1, 24 to 27, which address the concept of homosexuality. Leviticus 18, you shall not lie down with a male as you do with a woman. It is an abomination. And if you, if you quoted that to somebody, they might say, well, Pastor Hagen, <laughs> Pastor Hagen, um, do you expect me to keep all of the Old Testament law? Well, that Old Testament command is repeated in a form in the New Testament as well. So it also applies to us. The Old Testament commands against, um, you know, eating pork, for instance, are not repeated in the same way in the New Testament. So they only apply to the Old Testament people. The New Testament from Romans chapter 1 as they followed the sinful desires of their hearts, God handed them over to the impurity of degrading their own bodies among themselves. Such people have traded the truth about God for the lie, worshiping and serving the creation rather than the creator who is worthy of praise forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, God handed them over to disgraceful passions. Even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, their males, after abandoning natural sexual relations with females, were consumed by their lust for one another. Males perform indecent acts with males and receive in themselves the penalty that is fitting for their perversion. So our key term, um, homosexuality, which those passages definitely discussed, and, um, and it was very prevalent um, homosexuality and uh, was very prevalent in, in the Greco-Roman world, and Paul was certainly aware of it, and so he spoke to it on numerous occasions. Um, the term here, being sexually attracted to a member of the same sex rather than a member of the opposite sex. Um, and typically, you know, that, that term as it's defined really talks about lust. <laughs> Um, typically, we use that term homosexuality to um, to talk about somebody who acts on that attraction, who acts on that lust. 
And if, if that is, if that is you, um, and that kind of describes you where you've got this attraction, um, then the word of the Lord is the same for you as for somebody else who is dealing with the sin of lust. Well, flee from it and, um, and find a way to honor God with your life and with your body. Um, doesn't mean you, a person has to be married. It's okay to be unmarried. Um, but it's not okay. And it's not, it's not truly biblically encouraging and correct for a person to engage in those activities that are against God's design for the godly use of the body, which is marriage between one man and one woman. All right. We could talk about that a lot more. Obviously a lot of these, a lot of these questions have very pertinent applications. Um, if you have any questions or comments, let me know. Pastor Hagen at iCloud.com, P-A-S-T-O-R-H-A-G-E-N at iCloud.com. Number 27, review Romans 124 and uh, read 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, we'll read the 1 Corinthians passage here from the supplemental passages. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor males who have sex with males, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor the verbally abusive, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. And you'll notice, yes, there are a wide variety of sins there, including greedy and being verbally abusive. Um, but what we recognize is that sorrow over sin doesn't defend that sin. Sorrow over sin means admitting it and, uh, and looking to Jesus for forgiveness and then turning away from it to live a new life. So what does God say about lustful homosexual thoughts and homosexual actions? Well, they're sinful. Um, the same way that greed is sinful, the same way that abusive words are sinful, and, um, and, but to a greater degree because they are, they are sins against one's own body. Uh, next one from Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4. Do not let any sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed even be mentioned among you as is proper for saints. Obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking are also out of place. Instead, give thanks. How do we show that we take the sixth commandment seriously? Number 28. Well, we avoid any kind of sexual sin, including joking about them. Um, and, and that might, that probably will severely limit what kind of content and entertainment content that you're going to choose to support. So <laughs> find something better to do than sitting on the couch with a sitcom that's just raunchy and, um, and continually, continually tearing down the blessing that God has created and continually quietly or subtly, or sometimes not so subtly, trying to lure you away from the faith that Jesus has given to you. Number 29, according to Hebrews 13, verse 4, who needs to be concerned about keeping the sixth commandment? This is the last supplemental passage of the lesson. <clears throat> marriage is to be held in honor by all, and the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled, for God will judge sexually immoral people and adulterers. You know, the bottom line here, we're not singling anybody out. This is, this applies to everybody, whether you're single or married. Um, it applies to how you conduct yourself as a single person or as a married person or as a widowed person, widow or widower, or somebody who was, has been divorced. Um, whatever your station in life happens to be, wherever, whoever it is that you are married to or not married to, or thinking about being married to, this applies to you because we want to do our best to honor marriage as God instituted it. So the image, the diagram on page 102 in green, God's gift of marriage is unique. It is a lifelong union of one man and one woman. It is established by God and provides and created by God too, by the way, for everybody, all people of all time. And it provides the foundation of family life. The blessings include companionship, sexual happiness, and children. And so as a result, what should we do? Well, 
maintain, be pure in thought, word, and deed, and seek a spouse in a God-pleasing way, and then love and respect your spouse and flee temptation. What should we not do? What should we refrain from? Refrain from destroying that companionship, refrain from unfaithfulness, refrain from divorce and premarital sex, sex refrain from homosexuality and pornography and um, impure thoughts and words. That's a lot. <laughs> but I think um, the description that Martin Luther had for something like this was basically you can't, can't prevent a bird from flying over your head, but you can prevent that bird from making a nest in your hair. Um, and so what does he mean? There are, there are times and places and circumstances um, maybe where certain thoughts creep into your mind. Um, it doesn't mean you have to tolerate them and permit them or encourage them. Watch how you conduct your life so that this is not an issue or is much less of an issue, hopefully. Number 30, how does the sixth commandment serve as a mirror, the second use of the law for us? Well, it shows that our sinful hearts and bodies are inclined toward abusing God's gift of sex and marriage. Number 31, how did Jesus keep the sixth commandment in our place through his active obedience? Well, Jesus kept this commandment perfectly by never sinning sexually in action, word, or thought, and that perfect record is counted as yours and mine. 32, how did Jesus solve our continued breaking of the sixth commandment through his passive obedience on our behalf? Passive obedience is he allows himself to be crucified, so Jesus died to pay the punishment for any and every sexually related sin. And so, you know, kind of the encouragement there, even if you think it's shameful and it's something that you feel guilty for, um, it is something that Jesus knows about because he died on the cross for it. And dear friend, you are forgiven. Number 33, how does the sixth commandment serve as a guide, the third use of the law for us? Well, in Thanksgiving, we will respect God's gift of sex as he intends, using it only within marriage, and recognizing that marriage is the lifelong free union um, that is publicly recognized in, you know, like the government is our setup, uh, publicly recognized the lifelong union of one man and one woman. And so we'll go about seeking a spouse in a godly way and striving to conduct ourselves in a way that is appropriate to our our you know being a husband or being a wife or being a single person whatever we happen to be at any particular point connection question our world has degraded the marvelous gift of sex it demands that consenting adults have the right to satisfy whatever sexual desires whenever however and with whomever they want we are surrounded with temptations to lust in what ways can we protect ourselves and others from the temptation of sexual sins? That's a big one. And you'll notice that there's no answer <laughs> for this one. Um, a couple of ideas. And I think, I think you would, I would like for you to, you know, add to this list, use the rest of page 103 and add to this list with whatever ideas. I'll just have two. In what ways can we protect ourselves and others from the temptation of sexual sins? Um, I think one is finding a way for our congregations to really encourage marriage. Um, that might include supporting a young couple when they're just starting out and uh, providing the education that they need to be able to manage a household together and maybe, maybe subsidizing um, for them to go to a marriage retreat. That's like a weekend, like a Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday morning where uh, one of our Wells pastors, typically Pastor Randy Hunter, puts together a fantastic marriage retreat where you get to talk through a lot of the nuts and bolts of of marriage and what does this look like and how can we how can we live out our marriage better. Um, I think that's one. Another one would be to keep the TV out of out of the bedroom um, and keep the phone, you know, when the phone, when the sun goes down at night, um, then put the phone away, put it on the charger in a different room and you can get it in the morning. You know, spend the $8.99 or $6.99 to get an actual alarm clock from, from Walmart. And, um, and then just use your bedroom for, especially if you're married, use your bedroom for sleeping and for sex with your spouse. Um, and if you're not married, then 
or have a, and have a reading lamp by the side of your bed to read an actual book. Um, those, I think those are, those are the options, but to not be having those electronic devices that provide a gateway to everything that the internet and the world has to offer, which would really distract our eyes and distract our minds from the blessings that God has given to them here and now. Obviously, there are a few more. I would like for you to consider this as part of your homework as well. So we get to homework, and you see the exact same question. It's in the orange box on page 103. The rest of your homework is in the black box below that, pages 81 to 90. That's a little bit of review in the large in the small catechism. Um, we had covered a number of specific terms tonight and introduce pages 91 to 102 in Luther's small catechism. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, or improvements, um, or if you or someone you would you know would benefit from counseling of any sort, whether couples counseling, individual counseling, dealing with addictions, or pretty much anything, um, I, I can provide counseling free of charge, as well as our congregation does that for a wide variety of topics that I'm slightly less qualified to speak on, um, and they can do that through Zoom, um, which is a secure video conferencing platform, and you can receive counseling and Christian encouragement and with a licensed clinical therapist from the comfort of your own home, you know, sitting on your couch and getting the guidance that you need to, from the word of God, to deal with the difficulty of life in a sinful world. Um, I know that they handle all sorts of questions and, and, you know, in the last couple of years, there have been a lot more questions about homosexuality and transgenderism and, and the like, um, all the, all the sort of things that, and pornography as well. That's, that's been a big one for probably, probably the last 25 years almost. Um, but they, that is a, a network of Lutheran uh, clinical therapists who are members of our, of our same church body share the same beliefs as you and um, want to work with you with the word of God to help to help you live a life that is pleasing to God and glorifies him and expresses love toward him and toward your neighbor um, especially that closest neighbor of your spouse or the eventual spouse anyway if you want any more contact info on that let me know pastor Hagen at icloud.com and finally, if you haven't subscribed yet, check out RWJ Daily and RWJ Membership um, for our podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us. God bless your day.